Let's open our Bibles to Revelation 21. We're going to finish Isaiah, Daniel, and Revelation all in the same morning and talk about heaven. Before we read this morning, I just want to share something happened between services. You never know when the Lord's going to do a, a divine appointment for somebody. And um, the Bible says, make known the deeds of the Lord to the people. So when God does something, we're supposed to talk about it. So because he's alive and real, and he knows your heart and your concerns. So anyway, after the first service, a couple, been in the church a long time. Um, the husband lost his mother this week, and they were very, very close. He was singing one particular song all week long just to comfort himself. And uh, when the worship team came out to do the first song this morning, that was a song that was in his heart all week long. And it just broke him. And he just broke down because he knew that the Lord knew (laughs) that he needed that that comfort that only God can do. So our God is a real God. He, He knows your hurts and he knows how... Uh, he's the only one who can really uh, bring comfort. So I get blessed when I see the hand of the Lord and I'm able to tell people there's a God who is alive and real and he's concerned about your life and he creates divine appointments. And um, it's what I live for. Our text this morning is um, where Paul was reading is the 21st chapter of Revelation in chapter 22. Putting it in context real quickly because We could read it three times. I'm not going to read our intro like I usually do because we're going to be covering it right away. But let me just put it in context of where we are. If you look at chapter 20, verse 7, let's take us through where we are right now. The key to the book of Revelation is chapter 1, verse 19. John was told to write the things that are, or that he had seen. That was chapter 1. He had a vision of the Lord in his glorified body. So he writes it down, it's chapter 1. And he's told to write the things that are. And that's chapters 2 and 3, they're all red letters. And that is the church age. Church age began with Pentecost, it will conclude any day now I hope, (laughs) with the rapture of the church. When that happens, two witnesses will be set to this planet who lived in the past. Called the two witnesses, I believe to be Moses and Elijah. They have a ministry that lasts for three and a half years and um, of bringing plagues and judgment. We call it the Great Tribulation. And that lasts for seven years. From chapter 6 through 16, we have these chapters detailing for us the judgments that God is going to bring on this world for those who have rejected him as their Lord and Savior. Now, after the Battle of Armageddon, he says that the Lord immediately takes the Antichrist and a false prophet and throws them directly into the lake of fire. But he binds Satan for 1,000 years. And if you look at chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations who are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. So let's just go through the order of events. Old Testament, 400 years of silence, John the Baptist shows up. We have the church age. After the church age, we have the rapture. 
After the rapture, we have the Great Tribulation, that seven-year period of time. At the end of the Great Tribulation, we have the judgment of the nations. We talked about that in Daniel chapter 12. Blessed are those who make it to the 1,335th day because they get to enter into the thousand-year millennial reign. And what you have during that period of time is a perfect ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the curse being removed from planet Earth. You have longevity of life. Um, Lions and tigers and bears will be your buddies. And um, children will play with serpents. And uh, the fear factor that is part of the animal kingdom's nature will be will be removed. And for a thousand years, man will live and righteousness will be enforced because the Lord says he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Also, that's going to be part of your job because you're going to rule and reign with him. Now, one of the things that I pointed out during the first service and I would like to point it out again here is um, like David. You know, he's, he's known after a man after God's own heart. That's what he was known for. And yet, you know, he commits adultery. To cover his tracks, he kills Uriah. And um, the Lord busts him and deals with him. And it proves that um, even a man as great as David can sin. And here, to prove once and for all that uh, you might think you have something good somewhere, (laughs) <laughs> in inside of you. And uh, you can't make the excuse and say, well, I'm bad because I grew up on the south side of Chicago or my dad beat me every day or things like that. No, you make your free will choices and you are who you are because of what you choose. Now, to prove that point, we have in verse 7 of chapter 20, Satan being released after the thousand years of what? perfect environment, the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect ruler. Um, So even with that environment, the reason the Lord did not immediately cast Satan into the lake of fire is he wanted to use him one more time. You see, when we get to chapter 21, we're going into eternity. The millennial kingdom was a thousand years. So after the thousand years, we read that Satan's released again. What for? To provide a choice. If we're going to spend eternity with our Lord Jesus as our bridegroom and with the Father, it's going to be because we choose to do so and we really want to. Do we want to say amen to that? But what if you're just, what if you're given an opportunity? And that's what happens in verse 7. That's why Satan's released. And it's mind-boggling to me that he could persuade angelic beings to follow him and turn away from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And yet he, he succeeded in doing so. So what happens here is he goes out and there's actually people, after living in perfection... Uh, there, there were still sin, but they have the right to choose. It says a multitude actually decided to go with Lucifer. 
And um, the Lord makes, um, it says the number was as the sand of the sea, so it doesn't tell us the exact number. But fire come down from heaven, and that's it. They made their choice, and and they paid the consequences for it. Um, I bring it up because now, if we're going to enter into eternity, it's because you chose, you made a decision. And you could have been tempted, but you said no. No, I, I love the Lord. I'm gonna, I want to live and reign with him forever and ever and ever. And so as we begin in verse 1, we, these are the only two chapters in the Bible that talk about heaven. Um, we read in verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Um, I've had people say, oh, you Christians talking about the last days and the end of the end of the world, that the world's going to end. And I say, the world's not going to end for at least a thousand years. And that sort of puts a, a sort of gives them a tweak. What do you mean the world's not going to end? You're always talking about the end of the world. No, we're talking about the Great Tribulation. And then we're talking about the millennium. That's a thousand years long. And then at the end of that thousand years, now we have verse one. We have a new heaven and a new earth. So the next time somebody says, oh, you Christians, you just talk about the end of the world, just put, make it straight. Not for at least a thousand years. Not for at least a thousand and seven years. And I wish that would start today. <laughs> that means that we get raptured today, the seven years start, and we are, we're out of here. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 65 and 66 in the Old Testament. And while you're turning, let let me uh, give you a little insight on what heaven is really all about. Dave Hunt wrote a book years ago, said, whatever happened to heaven? Because people started being attracted towards anything other than their desire to be in heaven. Well, heaven, basically what it's going to be, is your eternal home. Um, As we look at this chapter of eternity, there's a new creation, new heaven and new earth. The redeemed have previously received, that's us, our glorified bodies like Jesus's. All things have become new. A new universe suggests new methods and approaches to life. New laws will regulate the new universe. The entire lifestyle will change, and um, here are some of the changes that we're going to study in chapter 21 and 22. Number one, there will be a total absence of sin and temptation and testing in the new creation. This in itself will make heaven a radical different place to live. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven does not mean another satellite for the earth, but rather the earth and all of the new creation with all of the galactic systems will revolve around the new Jerusalem because that's where the throne and the dwelling place of God is. The laws of gravity, as we know it, will be radically revised. There will be interaction, traffic between the earth, which is the new earth, and visitors that come to the new Jerusalem. The church will have already left the earth, and its dwelling place is what we're studying today, the New Jerusalem. 
I believe that we'll have completely different bodies, and the laws of gravity will not affect us. And um, there will be no sun. There will be no moon. For the light comes from God himself. There will uh, will be the absence thereof of, uh, therefore, night. There's no night there because we don't need that time to rest since we have new bodies. Just think. Um, Instead of being tired on Sunday afternoon and taking a nap, you won't be tired. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Um, There will be no longer any sea on the earth. Uh, Right now, about three-fourths of the surface of the world is water. Um, There will be, apparently, that means no fish, and apparently, men will be vegetarian during, just like during the millennium throughout throughout eternity. Uh, It has, like it was in the Garden of Eden. We're going to read in chapter 22 that there's going to be fruit trees for the, the leaves and for the healing of the nations, and we'll get on into that in just a little bit. The presence of the Father and the Son together on the throne, God will be made visible. And that blows my mind. And I'll get into that a little bit. And it'll usher in a whole new day for man. This is probably the best place to quote this scripture. Eyes haven't seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has created for him. There's no way I can explain it. What we're going to read today, well, I can read what it says, but to wrap my head around it, it's like Paul coming back and saying he went to heaven. And he says, I'd like to tell you guys about it, but there's no words. What I heard, no words. And... Um, doesn't that make you have inquiring minds? I mean, that's right up there with the seven thunders <laughs> that uttered their voices, and the Lord's not going to tell us what that's about until we get to heaven. I don't think that's fair at all. Anyway, the very first verse, Revelation 21, new heaven and a new earth. In Isaiah chapter 66, let me draw your attention to verse 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now, think about that. Will I be sad because my buddy didn't make it? Not in heaven. It says the former things will not come to mind. Be glad and rejoice for what I have created. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall be no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. The next verse, this is about, and this is one of the things as we teach through the Bible that you want to be sensitive to, that we can go from eternity and then skip back into the millennium. And so verse 20 in my Bible, I have a prophecy Bible, so it's highlighted in red with a um, M next to it means millennium. So verse 20 is a millennium. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man has not fulfilled his days, for a child will die being 100 years old. Well, that's kingdom age. That's the 
the Lord's kingdom. It's not heaven. But verse 17 is about the Lord creating a new one. Now, the very end, Isaiah has 66 books. There are 66 chapters. And there are 66 books in the Bible. And this is how the book of Isaiah ends in verse 22. It ends with, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, you, you, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it will come to pass from one new moon to the other and from one Sabbath to the other, all flesh will come and worship before me, says the Lord. That's actually a millennium scripture too. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, and their fire is not quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. End of the book of Isaiah. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews 11, of course, is a great chapter on the men who have one or two verses that talks about what they did as far as faith. So we call this the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame and the examples of Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. But in verse 13, talking about these men, it says, these all died in faith, but they didn't receive the promises, plural. Having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were pilgrims on the earth. They realized that this world is not their home. They're just passing through. For those who say such things declare plainly that they're seeking a homeland. I want to go home. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then the last one is in Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to give you a moment just to flip over there. I'd like to hear those pages turning. Second Peter 3 talks about this day when all the elements are going to melt. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. This verse here is going to play greatly when we... Go back into the Minor Prophets. Our next book up is is Hosea, and we'll be referring to that verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us. Praise the Lord for that. He's not willing that any should perish, so much for Calvinism, and that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in a night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, 
Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Therefore, beloved, Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. The Bible tells us here that someday the Lord's going to let go. Scientists can't figure out what holds an atom together. They call it cosmic glue because the electrons and the neutrons are, go against each other. They, they should just fly apart, but they don't. Something's holding them together. They don't know what it is. So they call it cosmic glue. The Bible says that he holds all things together by the power of his word. And someday he's going to say, I let go. And when he lets go, then you're going to have a nuclear reaction like never before. And all the elements, we're told here, are going to melt with a fervent heat. And so we have Isaiah, Hebrews, And Peter, connecting the dots, all saying the very same thing about the very first verse. Let's go back and read it again. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there was also no more sea. Well, it passed away, all right, in a very, very big way. Now, in 2 through 8, we have a description of the new Jerusalem. This is going to be your home. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true, and they're faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to anyone who thirsts. He who overcomes. Let me just stop and explain an overcomer. An overcomer is simply somebody who doesn't give up his walk with the Lord. Uh, Jesus said, abide in me and keep the faith until the end. Um, In other words, don't give up. And um, if you just abide in the Lord, you will be an overcomer. You shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I'm going to stop with that verse because I want to talk about the new Jerusalem. And uh, this verse 8 here, of course, are those who died in their sins, and they experienced a second death, which is the lake of fire. Now, turn with me to John chapter 14. John says he saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. 
And I think verse 1 of chapter 14 is, is misunderstood. Remember, we're the ones that added the verses and where the chapters are. But if you read it straight through in context, I would go back to verse 38 where he's talking to Peter. Peter says, I'll never deny you. And the Lord says, sorry, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. But then, that's verse 38, but then he says in verse 1 of chapter 14, but don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, we're, that was 2,000 years ago. The Lord said he's leaving, and the reason he's leaving is to prepare, prepare a place for Jerry Ryan and Carol. And they got their own home, <laughs> their own place, their own pad. I don't know what you're going to call it, but you're going to have your own. That where he is, you're going to be also. But you're going to be as if you're the only one. Even though the church collectively as, as a whole is going to be made up of millions of people, you're only going to be one bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how he does that, we're going to have to wait and see. But you're, you're his bride, and he's promised that he's going to prepare a place specially for you. What is that place? All right, go back to Revelation. That place we just read is called the New Jerusalem. And um, John sees it coming down out of heaven and let's pick it up down, verse 9. Verse 8 is for the lost. We re- actually read the very last verse of the book of Isaiah. talks about the worm never dying. So the idea that when it's over, it's over, that's not true. Everybody lives forever. Do you know that? Everybody lives forever. Where you live is your free will and choice. Um. Verse 8 are those whose worm is never going to die, and they will um, live and be conscious of all their missed opportunities and be haunted with that. I can't even imagine forever and ever. I can't handle thinking about it too much when somebody who I know isn't saved dies. My best friend is showing up. He's going to be with us for about a week. And um, before I was saved, there were the three of us, we were the three amigos, we did everything together. And then I got saved, and they freaked out. And, <laughs> and then Pat got saved, and then that caused my other friend John to freak out. And um, he called me last night and said he's going to show up tonight. And I said, John, I said, Pat, you know, we got, we got to get a hold of John. We have to. Now, he's one of our closest friends. And I, I can't handle the fact of him not being saved. So even if, even if he gives us a really hard time, let's give him a hard time. And um, if he doesn't like it, well, I'd rather have him get upset with me, but at least it's clear that um, I made the attempt to talk to somebody I care a lot about, did a lot of things together. I can't handle the fact of him 
being in hell forever, and yet I know it's true. I did Phyllis's funeral on Thursday night, and um, next day I did the committal service for Joel. He sat right in front of the casket. I asked him earlier if he wanted to say anything. He said, no, I don't want to say nothing. I said, I couldn't do it. And after uh, he was sitting there for a while, he said, I changed my mind. I want to say something. I said, go ahead, Joel. So he said, you know, I didn't think I'd feel like this right now. He said, I thought it would be a lot harder. And it's not. He says, I have a peace that I know I'm looking at. That's not Phyllis in there. That's just a body. It's a tent. And um, he went on and shared the peace of the Lord. You could see it all over him. And um, that's the promise that we have. No more pain, no more suffering. And Phyllis went through a lot of pain and suffering. And we were able to share there at the gravesite the hope, you know, that, that we have. And so verse 8 is a troublesome verse to me to think that, you know, I... I don't know if I have a worse enemy, but even if I did have one, I wouldn't want them to go there either. I wouldn't want anybody to go there. I watched Schindler's List last night. And um, you think, if anybody should go to hell, it should be these guys. But when I think about hell, what people are going to experience forever and ever and ever, these guys that burned and killed the Jews at Auschwitz and Birkenau, they're going to have to live with that thought forever and ever and ever. You say they're still conscious. They're still alive. Just like the rich man in Lazarus being in that place of torment. And, um, well, I got a little sidetracked there. I better get back to verse 9, don't you think? <laughs> then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me. And he said, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So now... The New Jerusalem is called the bride, the lamb's wife. We're directly connected to it. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. I'm going to put up on the screen right now... Um, something that I'll try to explain in just a bit. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. But here it says that it looks like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. A jasper stone, we would liken it to be a diamond. And the streets, we're told, are paved of gold. And when it says that um, this is the bride... Actually, what we have here, the stone, this jasper stone, is transparent and gleaming, which suggests one of these stones mostly to be like the diamond. The diamond seems to fit the description better than any other stone known to man. The New Jerusalem is a diamond in a gold mounting. The city is the engagement ring of the bride. In fact, it is the wedding a ring. It is a symbol of the betrothal and wedding of the church to Christ. So even the city itself is sort of depicted as a jasper stone, we read here uh, in verse uh, 11. And then it says, 
that it had a great and high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Notice it's plural. Now, when we put on this addition here, we laid a foundation. We only laid one foundation. But the new Jerusalem is going to have 12 different layers of foundation. And the names of uh, the apostles will be on each one of them, according to verse 14. And he who talked with me had a golden measuring uh, reed, and to measure, notice, three measurements. Measure the city, measure the gates, and measure the wall. So we have three different measurements here. And now we have the dimensions of the city itself. The city laid out as a square, and its length and its is as great as its breadth, and the breadth of the city with the reed, uh, and the same with its height, were 12,000 furlongs. So it was 12,000 furlongs one way, 12,000 furlongs up, and 12,000 across. And what we have here, I'm going to read what um, McGee believes, and I happen to agree with him, otherwise I wouldn't be quoting him right now. So as we look at the city, it is either a pyramid or it is a cube. But um, I'm in agreement with him that it's a cube with a spear around it here. The difficulty, this is 1,500 miles, 12 these furlongs, uh, these 12,000 furlongs actually come out to about 1,500 miles. Uh, the difficulty revolves when we think of the city as a cube within a crystal clear sphere. What we are given are the inside measurements. I think of it as a big plastic ball and a cube inside having all eight of its corners touching the sphere. As this involves mathematics, which I could not figure out, I asked both a mathematician and an engineer involved in the space program to determine what is the circumference of the sphere would be. And they both came up with the same answer. To enclose a cube 1,500 miles on each side, the circumference of the sphere would be 8,164 miles. The diameter of the moon is about 2,160 miles, and that of the New Jerusalem sphere is about 2,600 miles. Thus, the New Jerusalem will be somewhat larger than the moon, and it will be a sphere like the other heavenly bodies. I personally believe that this is the picture that's given to us. Well, that's his opinion. I agree with his opinion. If you don't want to agree with his opinion and you think it's a pyramid, it's fine with me. You're wrong, but it's still okay with me. All right, now it gets into something that I'm going to describe, but there's no way I can des- describe it. Because then it says it has these walls. He measures the walls 
Remember, three measurements um, that are here. The city, the gates, and the walls all have measurements. Verse 17 gives us the measurement of the wall. It's 144 cubics according to the measure of man that is of an angel, which is 216 feet. So that's the measurement of the wall. And the construction of the wall was like jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. So, you know, I was coming to church this morning, and they're, they're patching up this road that we take, and they were putting down asphalt. And heaven is going to be covered with pure gold for its building material for its roads with this diamond shape around it. And now we have foundations in verse 19, plural. How many foundations? Twelve. And so we find that the foundations of the wall of the city was adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And then in the next couple of verses, um, I'll go through them, and then I'll read verse 21. The first one is the jasper. That's a clear crystal. The second one, sapphire. That's sort of a color blue. I'm going to mess these names up because they're really hard to pronounce. The third one is chalcedony, which is a greenish color. Fourth one is an emerald. That's green. Uh, Sardinox, is, uh, that color is red. Sardis is fiery red. Uh, the crystallite is a golden yellow amber sort of color. Uh, the barrel is green. The topaz is greenish yellow. This one's tough to pronounce. The crystophrasis is colored green. Uh, Jacin is violet and amethyst. I actually have an amethyst at home. The color is purple. So now we have 12 different layers. 12 different precious stones make up these layers. And remember, these layers are 1,500 miles long. And now... We have the foundation of the New Jerusalem constructed and uh, what we have in the center of it, let's continue to read. So those are the different foundations and the 12 gates are 12 pearls. Now you know where they get to saying the pearly gates. Our 12 pearls, each individual gate was of one pearl. Now that's a pretty big pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God and the Lamb, here's the Trinity, are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminates it and the Lamb is its light. Okay, let's try to describe that. You can't. When you go and buy a diamond, they usually put it under a bright light. So the light comes in, and then you put on one of those glasses to see if there's any imperfections. And there's this brilliance that comes out. But that's from just one diamond. The light's coming from the outside going in. Imagine the Shekinah glory of God at the center of the New Jerusalem shining out through all these layers of these beautiful, valuable, precious stones, 
only to go through the last one, which would be solid diamond itself, reflecting off the streets of transparent gold. How do you put that into words or describe it? You know how? Man hasn't seen, hasn't entered the heart or the mind of man. It's impossible. The things that God has created for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Tell me about it. Try to. I can read. (laughs) But to imagine the most beautiful structure that has ever been made, and it's going to be your home, gang, forever and ever and ever and ever. The Lord's going to stamp his name and your new name on his head so that when you're running about the universe and get lost, he can send some angel to pick you up and he can bring you home again. And you'll never, never get lost. You don't have to worry about it. But, you know, how do you describe something that's indescribable? And yet, uh, we read the illumination comes from the Lord himself, who is the light of the world. 24, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth, all right, now we got earth dwellers, bring their glory into it. Well, what do you mean? Well, there's going to be people on earth who are going to be able to make it to what looks like the moon. The earth is orbiting the city, and they have access to it. That's why we believe the bodies and gravity and coming and going. Jesus, in his glorified body, what did he do? The night uh, of the, the resurrection. Well, the guys were scared to death and they were hanging out in a room. They were afraid. And who all of a sudden just pops in? Jesus walks through walls. And you, the same body that he has, you're going to have a glorified body. So... Wow, to be able to come and go, these kings are going to bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates will not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations of the earth into it. But there shall no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, Our attention, as I'm doing this, I'm going to have you turn to the last book of the Bible. And Joshua and Bethany's son's name is Malachi. Does he get all bright-eyed when you you tell him his name is in the Bible? Malachi um, chapter 3, verse 17. As the Lord is saying, these are mine, says the Lord. He's talking about the church. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them. So the Lord looks at you, and something just came to mind before Lucifer fell. It gives a description of him. And it talks about, before the fall, all the precious stones that were on him. And his body was actually also a musical instrument. Is that weird or what? He said, you were the one that walked in the midst of the fiery stones. You were the cherub, that anointed cherub that covered. He had the most dominant position, perfect in wisdom and beauty. 
And um, it talks about him being covered in stones. Well, here the Lord says, I'm going to make up my jewels. And, um, and he will spare them on the day that I bring them. The church will be the finest jewel of all when he makes up his jewels. You are one of a kind. What makes a diamond special? What makes a hope diamond special? Well, there's only one hope diamond. And that's what makes it special. There's only one of you. That's why you're valuable. You're priceless. And um, our attention has already been directed to the fact that a redeemed remnant of Israel makes regular visits to the city of God. That's verse 24 we just read. There's this other group. It's identified who comes into the city to bring their glory and their honor. These are the redeemed Gentile nations which will occupy the earth together with Israel for all eternity. These nations, like Israel, do not belong to the church, for they are redeemed after the church is removed from the earth or before the church came into existence. They come as visitors to the city. They come as worshipers. In Hebrews 12, verse 22, we are told that there's also present an innumerable company of angels who evidently are involved in serving the Lord there. The city is the epicenter of the universe. All nationalities will meet there, and the created intelligence of God walks the streets of the New Jerusalem. Among the multitudes there is not one who will bring defilement or sin. And um, how superior this city is compared to the Garden of Eden where the lie of Satan caused sin to enter into our universe. No more lies. All, no lie will ever enter the portholes of the heavenly Jerusalem. All dwellers and all tourists are not only redeemed from sin, but they have actually lost their taste for sin. They come through the gates which are never closed. The enjoyment of this glorious city is not restricted to the church, although they are the only ones who dwell there. We just read in verse, let's go back to uh, Revelation, verse 24. The nations who are saved shall walk in its light. And so it's home for you and I, but they'll be allowed to come and worship, which brings us to the final book in the Bible. And um, we have this chapter brings the the final scene of this great book. Um, It likewise brings an end to the whole Bible, the word of God. God gives us his final words here. And... We also find something that's only in Genesis and only in the last chapter of Revelation. Let's begin with verse 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, it was clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, in the midst of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. 
and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now let's go back, and I'll quote Genesis 3.24. You only hear about the tree of life in two places. Genesis 3, verse 24 said, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep Adam and Eve from coming back and eating of the tree of life. That's in Genesis. You don't hear about it again until the very last chapter in the Bible where you have the tree of life once again reemerging. But this, this can be problematic because what we have is the leaves are for the healing of the nations and it begs the question, if the leaves are beneficial for healing, why healing is needed in a perfect universe is a very good question and it's a difficult problem to answer. Um, what it could be is that the bodies of the earth dwellers in eternity will be different from the bodies of the believers in the church who will be like Christ. That is, their bodies will be like his. But the bodies of the earth dwellers may need uh, renewing from time to time. This may be the reason that they come up to the New Jerusalem, not only to worship, but also to be renewed physically and spiritually. At least uh, the prevention is there. However, having said that, in verse, um, what we just read, in verse 27, there will, it will not be possible anything sinful to enter. So these, it clearly says it's for the healing of the nations. We'll have to see what, what that's all about. Verse 3 says, There's no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants will serve him. Now I kid a lot around a lot, and I say, well, this is my favorite psalm. And next week I'll say, this is my favorite psalm. And I'll say, and John, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And um, hopefully everybody here has a favorite verse in the Bible. Well, verse 4 is my favorite verse in the Bible. Simply because I can imagine seeing Jesus someday, face to face. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And I will know as I am known. Now, the Lord knows a lot about, he knows everything about me. There's nothing that he doesn't know about me. Now he says, I'm going to have that capacity. I will know as I am known. And to see the face of my Savior, I can kind of wrap my head around that. I look forward to that. Though not seeing him, we look forward to that with great anticipation. But that's one thing. When Jesus was on earth, Twice the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son. Once at the baptism, remember, and once on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, Peter got, got all hung up seeing Moses and Elijah. And the Lord interrupts him and says, Peter, shut, button it up. <laughs> this is my beloved Son. So the Father is speaking, but you never, Jesus said, no man has seen the Father except the Son. And it's, been the desire of Moses to see God face to face. So we're not talking about 
Jesus here. We're talking about the ancient of days. And when we were going through Isaiah and the major prophets, it says that the Lord came to the ancient of days who was sitting on the throne. Genesis tells us that the father is talking to the son and he says, let us make man in our image. Wow. So God is going to allow himself, let's keep this in context, that the Bible teaches that the universe itself cannot contain him. He has to humble himself to look into the universe. And he says he measures it with the span of his hand. How big is the universe to God? Oh, about that big. And he humbles himself to look into it. Yet he allows himself to be manifested here so that we can actually see him. What do we know about God? What does the Bible say about him? God is light. God is spirit. But the one that gets me is that God is love. And now I'm reading a voice I'm reading a verse that tells me that love has a face. That's what I think of when I think of this verse. God has a face. And someday, in this verse, we're going to see the one that Moses and um, Philip said, show us the Father and then we'll be satisfied. You know, To see the face of the Father. That's what this verse is saying. And to me, it's the most unbelievable I mean, the New Jerusalem is going to be nothing compared to looking into the face of God. Why couldn't we do it before? Because he's also light. And in such a bright light, you would, you couldn't, your body just simply could not handle it. You have to have the new body. And his name shall be on their foreheads. The devil is such a ripoff. He's such a copycat. He's got nothing original. Why do you think the mark of the beast, 666, is put on the forehead or the chip? By the way, they're chipping people in Wisconsin now. Just this week they came out with that. And um, he, that's where the, the enemy got this. And, um, but our Father's name will be on their foreheads. There shall be no more night there, there, no need for the lamp or the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. You will never be bored. You will never be hungry. You'll, you'll never be tired. You can eat if you want to. And you never, ever gain weight. How's that? <laughs> never have to work out unless you want to. You know, the things that he's prepared for us, we have no idea. And now we have the conclusion. It says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. All of a sudden, we have red letters again. Isn't that interesting? Go back. It says here, well, I'm, I'm going to repeat this several times before we close this morning. Look at verse 7. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Look at verse 12. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Look at verse 20. Surely, I am coming quickly. All right? Turn back to chapter 16. And we have, we're back in the tribulation right before the battle of Armageddon. We have red letters. 
There hasn't been red letters since the church in chapters 2 and 3. It's all black. And then you get to verse 15 of chapter 16, and it's in red letters. Well, what's up with that? The Lord wants us to say, church, wake up, sit up. And he, right before he says the battle of Armageddon's going to come, he says, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Red letters there. And then as the Bible concludes, he's speaking again to the church in verse 17. And what does he tell the church? He said, um, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to return, but if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Verse 7, behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw and I heard all these things. Imagine seeing the new Jerusalem being presented to you. And, you know, it just wipes John right out. And he fell down to worship the angel who showed him these things. And the angel said, don't do that. For I'm, I'm just a fellow servant of your brethren, the prophets, of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And then he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Well, what did we read in Daniel, chapter 12? Daniel wanted to understand the vision from 10, 11, and 12. And the Lord says, Daniel, seal it up until the time of the end. People will travel to and fro. Knowledge will increase. And here in Daniel, it's sealed up. But now the whole book of Revelation is the unsealing. And here we read that he's told, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. Uh, Again, I want to point out that most of Christianity does not look at this book literally. A lot of people think um, it's a battle between good and bad. Um, A lot of people say, well, it's too difficult, it's symbolic, and they allegorize it. And there is a small group of people, we're part of that group, that believe every word of it just as it's written down. And some of the things that are so hard to wrap your head around, the Lord does them in the Old Testament so that we'll believe in what it happens during the Great Tribulation. Case in point, no rain for three and a half years. That ever happened before? Yeah. Elijah in the Old Testament with Ahab, same amount of time. Um, did anybody ever get uh, caught up to heaven before? That, Like the, the rapture? Yeah. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. And uh, Elijah wanted a double portion of what Elijah had. He said, I don't think you know what you're asking for. But I tell you what, if you see me go up into heaven today, you got your wish. No sooner did that happen than a chariot of fire came down and picked him up, and he was taken bodily into heaven. One of two people who never died in the Old Testament. Enoch, he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's a picture of the rapture gang. And then you have Elisha. And uh, some people argue that he has to be the other witness. And they have a good point. The Bible says it's appointed, right? Unto man once to die and then the judgment. Well, Moses died. 
And there was a big hoop to do over that. It says in Jude verse 9 that, that Michael contended with the devil over the body of Moses. Well, what's that all about? It doesn't even tell us. And all it says was that, that um, Michael just said, the Lord rebuke you, and he left it at that. And why they wanted the body, we don't know. But um, the promise that there is a rapture and that the Lord is coming quick, the Bible ends with um, saying, I don't want this stuff sealed up. I want this information out there. Doesn't that take you back to Daniel 10? Daniel 10 has angel wars. The information that we're receiving this morning, Satan doesn't want you to hear it. That's why Michael had to show up to duke it out with the, the, the angel of the Prince of Persia. He stopped an inferior angel for three whole weeks from getting the message to Daniel. And it wasn't until Michael showed up that he was able to get the information through. Why? Gang, this is the most valuable information on planet Earth. Got to get an amen for that one. This is, you have more knowledge. Paul says we speak to the wise, to those who are wise. In other words, those who are born again. Some people, we tell them to read the book of Revelation. No, they don't see but the natural man can't see because they're not born again. You must be born again. When you're born again, this book becomes food and you can't get enough. Jesus said man can't live by bread alone, but by every word, not just topical sermons here and there, but by every word that comes from God. That's how we live. It's our daily food. Now, I'm going home to Papa Murphy's Pizza. Sort of, sort of a tradition on Sunday. And, you know, it's good. And I feel good. No, I take a nap afterwards. That's the routine. But that's going to change someday. I don't think they have Papa Murphy's in heaven. It's going to be a lot better. But what we long for is, is really what the Lord, as we finish up, and the final point that I want to make this morning is really, really dealing with our priorities. Don't seal it up. Let it out. Talk about your divine appointments. Tell stories when you see the, the hand of the Lord. And, um, yeah, so it's the second service, so I can tell stories that I didn't tell for the first service. Right? I had a divine appointment. After the internment um, of Phyllis, well, we were in Oshkosh, and... Um, I said, Judy, let's go to the EAA. And so we did. And um, I said, Lord, I'd, I'd pray just to run into some old friends. How about a divine appointment today? So we no sooner get on the bus, we sit down on the bus, and there's people sitting behind us that are asking each other, where are you from? The guy says, Green Bay. And then the other guy said, well, where are you from? Oh, Israel. Well, that got my attention. <laughs> I had I had I climb Masada T-shirt on that day, so I turned around and I went like, and I, and I said Shalom, and it was Friday and I changed and I said Shabbat Shalom, and I had their interest, and the guy I found out very shortly I was asking him what he did, and he says you know there's a landing strip at Masada I said no there's not 
I've been there lots of times. There's no landing strip by Masada. And he says, oh, yeah, I'm a tour guide <laughs> for Israel. And I take people around in planes, and I land at Masada. So don't tell me there's no land strip at Masada. <laughs> I thought I knew Masada pretty well. We started talking. We started talking. We talked for a half an hour. He knows. I said, um, well, do you know Shmuley from Sorel Tours? He says, of course. He says, you know his father? Of course. Zev Eisner? Yeah. Dave Hockey? You know Dave Hockey? You know, he is one of the smartest men I know. I said, yeah, and he can go in, into BB's office anytime he wants to. He says, you're right. And we, we, we went on, and we're t- talking back and forth. I said, we're going to be there. I said, I've been leading tours since 79. And he's a tour guide. His son's name is Jonathan. And the three of us stood before we even went into the EAA and um, talking about the events that are going on. He's a pilot. This is the third time at the EAA convention. And I, I listed off every guy that I li- listed off he knew personally. And it just blew my mind, and I knew it was the Lord. So now I get to make known that God is real. And um, I impressed him just because I knew Dave Hawking. I said, I just talked to him last week. He's going to be at our prophecy conference. And uh, I don't know if they're going to be here for all that. But our God is a real God. And then going out... One of my closest friends in Haiti is Mark Williams with Mission Aviation Fellowship. We start talking with the guy. He wasn't there. He was out watching Blue Angels. And we're fellowshipping with the the guys with the tent at MAF. For those of you who don't know what that is, Mission Aviation Fellowship are the pilots that will fly us from Port-au-Prince to Hinch. They're missionary pilots. And I said, you know, this is the first year we haven't had an EAA guy speak before. And I said, one of the reasons I'm here is to find out why. And he said, oh, the guy's retiring, and he just, he just let it slip through the cracks. And all of a sudden, there he was, and he, he felt bad about it. And, um, and I said to the guy that I was talking to, I said, well, where, where are you speaking? Oh, he says, I'm speaking at the Countryside uh, Christian Fellowship uh, about six miles away from here. I said, you've got to be kidding. I did a funeral there two nights ago. And he says, what? And so he, he is speaking at um, the church. And I said, well, the pastor there rented his house out and went on vacation. So he's filling in for the pastor. And I'm just rambling on because I like to. <laughs> when the Lord does something, you just want to tell him people about it. So we had several divine appointments and I got to get back to this because I could tell more. That was just over the weekend. Um, Do not seal up the book. Verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. But he who is holy, let him be holy still. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, they that have the right, that they'll have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are 
dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. That's the last verse of Isaiah 66, talking about those who will be uh, suffering forever. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. What do you mean this isn't literal? The Lord says this is meant to be for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who is thirsty come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And then we have this combination. I'm the bride. You're the bride. But we have the spirit in us. So I get terribly convicted at this point because what we should be desiring above all else and in front of all else is this verse right here. With all my heart, the Holy Spirit with me, and the bride say, Lord, come, and really mean it with all my heart. Colossians 3 says, if you're a born-again Christian, then seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So if you're born again, that should be your number one pursuit. Good place for an amen? Should be. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. I wish I could say I did that. We were in the car the other day. The song came out, I surrender all. I surrender all. So I kicked in the verse, oh, no, we don't. Oh, no, we don't. I'd like to tell you I surrender all, but I'd be lying to you. You know, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize what a wretch I am. And the, the closer things, I, I want to say that. Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I should do, I don't do. A wretched man that I am. And the closer you get to the Lord, you know, I'd like to tell you I surrender all. I'd be lying to you. But the fact is, I'd like to tell you. It's in my heart. It said, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall also you appear with him in glory. Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If I would just ask you to be honest in your heart, what's the most important thing in your life? What's the first thing that comes to mind? And if it's anything other than Jesus, then you you have an idol. And that includes father or mother, sister or brother. Anybody who loves father or mother or sister or brother more than me, not worthy to be called my disciple. Whoa, Dwight, those are, those are warrior words. That's going to cause division. Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus said. Don't think I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring division. So you put Jesus first in your life, that's going to cause some problems. Maybe with a wife, maybe with a workmate. David said it best, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord God all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. 18 and 19, before he ends it, he gets serious, and he gives us a warning. 
and basically is don't mess with this book. Verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to it, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy of God, shall take away his part of the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And people tell me that this is a book that's allegorical and is to be spiritualized. Well, you've just added to and you've just taken away from. It, is, it says just what it means and it means just what it says. And then the very last thing in the Bible, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And we all say it together. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you that you've written these things down for us. But we confess it's true that our minds cannot comprehend the things that you've prepared for us. But how wonderful and glorious the new Jerusalem must be. We thank you for the hope of heaven, that our loved ones um, will be reunited with them. But Lord, our final prayer is that we could say with an honest heart, along with the Holy Spirit, um, come and really mean it. And uh, that would be truly our first love, like you said to the church of Ephesus. You're really not interested in anything else except that we maintain our first love, relationship with you. If that's not the case this morning, Lord, or if there's somebody here who's never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, then today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but know that he loves you. And um, if you'll confess your faults and sins before him, he'll forgive you and you will become the bride of Christ. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.